And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. I have so many conversations about fundraising. How do I raise capital? How do I make a pitch deck? How do I get an offer? How do I do this? How do I do that? You know what I almost never talk about? Nonprofit fundraising. Let's change that today. And before I tell you who I'm going to have today's conversation with, today's episode Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. There's a link in the show notes for that. If you're not aware, that's my business, and we love talking to Startup Hustle listeners. With me today, I have Kenny Liner. Kenny is the CEO of Holler & Hum Music. Now, that's a music management and label service out of Bend, Oregon. What does that have to do with nonprofit fundraising? Kenny's going to tell you all about it. He's a specialist in this field. So let's just go ahead and say, Kenny, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here. Yeah, let's let's just let's get this started with a little bit about your backstory, because, you know, I, I know I've met you through friends and in uh, in my music world. And uh, I know you're very talented in that regard, whether you want to admit it or not. Kenny. <laughs> uh, but with that, you have a, you have developed a specialty for nonprofit fundraising. And, yeah, I'm curious about how that came to be. Sure. It, it happened pretty organically. Like you said, I was in the music business for a long time. I had the dream, just like a lot of people, of uh, starting a band. And I did. And I hit the road and I did the tours and I traveled the world. And I met so many amazing people. And that was great, sort of in my 20s. But as my 30s uh, came along, it, it didn't go as far as I wanted it to. And um, just sort of did a reassessment of life. And um I was living in Baltimore, Maryland. There was a huge need there. Started to realize things around me. There were a lot of people that had and a lot of people that that didn't have. And um, it just didn't feel right at that point, um, continuing to serve my own dreams. I had been doing that for so long. I thought, why not do something to help the people around me? So I just had this idea of building a recording studio in one of the housing communities, actually the largest housing community in Baltimore City, and started, just went down there and talked to them. And they said, oh, it's a great idea and raised the money myself, had eight kids that, um, you know, all different age groups. And it just took off, became really popular and organically just started to grow till, you know, we're seeing in multiple sites um, over a thousand kids a day all across Baltimore. And then people started, you know, just learning organically how to grow a nonprofit. Um, it was, it was a wild ride until eventually, like, like you said, um, I became a consultant and started helping other people do it. Uh, cause I guess I, I cracked some sort of codes to, to do it, um, do it ethically and, and 
do a good job of it. What's a, what, you know, obviously raising money for a profit compared to a nonprofit business is going to probably have a different approach. I'm not going to pretend to have any expertise uh, about raising money for nonprofits. What's the big difference other than profit? I think you'd be surprised how little difference there is. I mean, um, at the end, people want equity, you know, whether that's social equity or, or financial equity. I mean, you, you create a good narrative, you have good data, and, you know, people have and want to spend their money <laughs> for lots of different reasons. And those reasons are different for each individual donor. And that's why, uh, or, you know, that's, that's just why you do a donor profile when you're have a startup or a nonprofit. But, you know, people are looking for, for good ways to spend their money, whether it be to help people to believe in a cause they believe in, like art or music, or to make money, which is obviously a great way to, to spend your money. Well, and, and for those of you that want to know what social equity is, that refers to the concept of fairness, justice, and equality in society and emphasizes the need to ensure that all individuals have access to the same opportunities, resources, and privileges, regardless of their background, identity, or socioeconomic status. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think in general, it's just um, fairness, uh, uh, the distribution of wealth, you know, like you're, you're in St. Louis, right? Or Kansas City. Kansas City, right. So you're yeah, in Kansas City. Don't say St. Louis again, because then we have to fight. Okay, gotcha. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, you're in Kansas City. And this still, it's, it's a similar to Baltimore, or any really major city, you, you're on one street, and you see the people that have and then you go to yeah. the next street, and you see the people that don't. And there's a, a good amount of investment to make sure you know, those those scales are, are leveled. Um, so that there's an even playing field for, for everyone. And I think there's um, a good, that's a good, um, you know, mission to have for, for people, uh, donors looking to donate, um, especially for, you know, in, in the cities, major cities where right now there's a lot of problems going on. So I think one of the, one of the big things that stands out already for me with the difference Yes, you, know, you talk about getting equity versus social equity. Now, when you're raising <laughs> money for a nonprofit, you don't necessarily get shares in it, do you? No, no, not right. at all. So we're raising donations as Correct. opposed to yes. capital. Yes, technically they are still forms of capital, I, I suppose, but Cor that's Correct. a different thing. Yeah, yeah. it's it's um yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, the way that nonprofits are structured, it's a unique system. So it's run by a board. There is no, there is no equity. So no one right. owns it. Like the, the board is just kind of managing the money. And then if there's any money left over at the end of the year, it's not owned by anyone. It just rolls into the next year's budget. Um, so it's a, it, you're absolutely right. So it's, it's a very different system that's set up than than your typical corporation. Um, and with that, there's a lot of challenges. Honestly, you, you don't get the same talent that you would get um, when you're trying to hire people sometimes because the money's not there. And, um, you know, people want to build lives for their own families. Like I have to do, I have to juggle both worlds. And um, because, you know, I also want to provide a great life for my family as well.
Yeah, and that's understandable. I think one of the things that you might be likely to get more of, though, is passion. You know, like and and passion, passion moves, moves gears and moves things forward. And I think that passion is a uh, isn't an ingredient that if removed from most situations, almost certainly equals a lower output. You know, and like it's passion that, well, you talk about, you know, and, and, and for those of you that, that aren't familiar, you know, I worked in the music in and around the music industry for almost 10 years and wrote a book on the subject with um, my friend and hero, Joel Cummins, which is how I know you. I first met Kenny and didn't even, we didn't even remember meeting <laughs> each other 12 years ago in Baltimore because you, you were performing along with Umphreys McGee at, I believe it was the Rams head. Yep. Is that Correct. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw yep. that. Pro- I remembered that though. When we talked, I was like, <laughs> Oh, I was at that show. I remember, I remember seeing it. It was a good show. And um, you know, with that, you know, I found that a lot of people, you mentioned the, the, in the music industry, grinding it out and riding mm. in a van or traveling the world and doing a lot of that passion for music fuels that more I have found with musicians more so than the true expectation that they're going to be a jet setting rock star, you know, in a lot of days. Absolutely. And, and passion for helping people is, is a great motivator um, for sure. And you, you get a lot of very motivated, especially young people coming out of college. They, they have their, you know, idyllic situation. They think, oh, I'm going to make this huge impact and they want to, you know, go out and then it's, it's a little harder in the, in the real world once you, once you get up against some, some real world problems. But yeah, most, you need that passion, you need that fire. And, and I think it does translate to any startup. You know, when I sit down with a, with an entrepreneur, that's the first thing I notice is how excited they are. It's like, get me excited. That's, that's why some of the asks are the same, because if someone's excited about something, you can get excited about it. And, um, you know, if someone doesn't seem that excited, it's an immediate turnoff, I'm sure for you as well. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Oh, totally. I mean, I think when I, uh, you know, and I do, so one of the things that, that we can talk about here in a second, but you, you've become a specialist at the pitch and the mm-hmm. pitch deck and the presentation of, of how you're presenting your plan, your mission, your hopeful outcome, um, all of that. And um, it, once again, for those of you that aren't aware, I actually work with organizations within the city of Kansas City to help people that have received startup grants or different things. And I help them work out their pitch because at some point they're going to have to be on a stage and they're, they get one minute. Tell me everything in a minute. <laughs> and now here's the thing. A minute is actually an eternity in my world. Yeah. It can be. Like, and in some cases, like, I'm, oh my God, how are we, what, what are we going to say to fill the minute? And then when I'm coaching some of them is, what can I do to get this down to a minute? But, you know, it's usually one or the other. Yeah. Uh, but, but with that, the passion for what they're doing is immediately identifiable. And if you are passionate about what you're doing, the ability to move others and sway them to join you or to get up and do a little more or, or in some cases do a little less, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a lot more influential and it's easier to do. So I, I tell startup and entrepreneur hopefuls, if you're not passionate about what you're doing or the business that you're starting, then don't start it. 
because it's still going to be there after your initial rush of starting a business. The two most exhilarating things in business are starting and exiting a business. The middle part of it is, is rowing. Yeah. I mean, it's rowing. Like you, you can think about it at summer camp. You're really excited to go in the canoe and you put on the life preserver. And you're like, dude, <laughs> this oar is so cool. You get in the boat and it's kind of tippy and you almost fall out. You're like, whoa, that's a rush. And then you realize an hour later when you're still rowing, it's a lot of work. And then you're really excited to get out of that thing. Yeah. Or arrive at the destination. And I think that's sure. a pretty good that's a pretty good explanation. I just made that up on the fly there. But that's great. Yeah. I feel like it's a pretty good explanation. And so the thing is, if you're not if you're not into the rowing part, you're not gonna get to the destination. But you, you gotta do it in there. And and so, now let, and let's talk about that because I wanna what do you what when you get the presentation or the pitch or and you're working with people to convey this message. I mean, what do you find that people are not getting right and how do you fix some of it? I think the first, like my first big boxes I check, you know, and, and I've done this a lot, as you've alluded to, is like knowing the audience. You got to really make a profile of what kind of investor you're looking for. Because so many people waste time going to the wrong people. You know, I think oh, yeah. that's like a first, the first big check. It's like, some of these early people think they can just walk into VC and just and just walk out with handfuls of money and it never and it never happens. It's just a time waster. Um, so I think you got to know the first thing I like to do is just do a basic, a very basic profile of who of who this, um, you know, who, who you're really pitching to, because once you know that you can start to gear the pitch and then and like you said, most of my work is actually done shortening. I think a lot more people come in with way too much information than way less. I have seen the way less. It's definitely out there. But for me, it's usually, wow, no one has time to look at your 40-page deck that like has every single bit of information you've ever learned. Uh, and, and I get that. I understand why when it's your thing and you're and you are passionate and you are excited and you've done the work, you really want people to know it. But that's just a turn off for most, um, you know, people that are looking to invest in in my case. I think sometimes for real estate that works. They hit them with every fact possible because that's just a different uh, ball game sometimes. Um, but but other than that, I I think those are my first two big boxes. Is like net is like who you're who the who the donor is and how and how you're gonna try especially if it's a nonprofit and and doing a profile and then really shortening it and then I like to use the word narrative a lot I think that um when people are creating a pitch it is a story it is a narrative it needs a beginning a middle and an end and the end is obviously the ask um but how are we going to get there? And you start saying, filling in, you know, it's like making an outline. You start saying, what is this overall arching narrative? And you start to say, here are the things that build that narrative. And here are the things that take away from that narrative. Um, and, and once you do that, you put together. And again, I have very niche and nuanced things about pitch decks that I'm sure we could talk about for hours, like how many words should be on the page, how many headings, how many pictures, never want too many pictures per page, you never want too many words. And then I actually 
I'm a pretty big fan of the script. I don't like when I, I mean, some people are great talkers. Even me, I think I'm a pretty good talker, but I think if you just put me in a room, I can, I've messed up me, you know, I've, I've taken, I've let my, my mouth pull me out of a lot of good, oh, yeah. a lot of good situations and get me into a lot of good situations, of course. But what I'll do usually is I'll help that I'll help people write an actual script and they can go off of it, obviously, if the conversations go and there's always room to answer questions. But I think scripting something and having somebody practice it and really know it is really helpful because you've all we've all been in that meeting where you're pitching with your partner and you're just like wishing they would shut up. You're just sitting there going, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, you know, and they just keep talking and you see the hole is just getting bigger and bigger. And then they go into something else and you're like, you're getting off the screen, you know? I think so, I was in that meeting. I think <laughs> I was at that one. I mean, it, to me, to I me, might've been that person talking a couple of times too, who knows, you know? Well, what I do when someone hires me is I watch them pitch and I'm just sitting yeah. there taking notes and I'm just like, ah, like it's, it's, it's often painful. It's, it's surprising. I think we might've even talked about this, but surprising how intelligent and and advanced a lot of these entrepreneurs are out there that have the the most amazing ideas and companies they're starting and they just do not know how to sell it they just do not know how to pitch it and it's kind of sad because you know it's it's just not a skill everybody has so um there's there's a lot of ways to people keep hearing no, no, no. And it's like, Hey, I'm doing all this work. I have these great ideas, but everyone keeps saying no. And it might just be because you don't know how to present, you know, and that's, that's unfortunate, but it's definitely, I see it. I see it a lot. I think one of the things that, I, that I've uncovered with the coaching that I've done for people that, that do pitches and just in general, like, and I've done that in a formal way. I've done it for friends. I've done it for myself is, yeah. Okay. Well, first off, you mentioned the narrative and yeah, it is a narrative, but you got no one's going to listen to your narrative if you don't get their attention first. So one of the things that my, my book author is always saying to me, he's like, you got to lead with the need. Well, that works <laughs> with your pitch too. So yeah. like, you look at like the one minute pitch, which is a little different than like going in for a VC pitch. But then again, it isn't because mm-hmm. if you get, if you just, if you're just terrible in that first minute, the eyes glaze over. No one's listening. People are looking at their phones. Some other dudes answering emails. Other people just tell you to stop. You know, like that's the world of VC. Like it's not there to be polite. It's like I, I've seen that. I've seen yeah, that happen. Of course, yeah. Two I minutes have, in, hey, it's just just to stop. This isn't something we're into. I have a little catchphrase that I've made up, and and you can surely use this, or your people can use this. But it's uh, details and emails. Like if somebody you know, it's a conversation. And if someone wants very nuanced details, I just say, hey, let me follow up with an email because yeah. basically you're going to get into the weeds yep. and it's it's not going to move it forward and you're not going to be as accurate. If you, if you switch over to an email, you can take your time and really craft something that they're going to want to read and understand. And I just talk to entrepreneurs all the time, details and emails. You don't need yeah. to have these talks like over the phone. Um, and it, and it works and I've sat there in pitches and I, I love hearing, Oh, let me follow that up with an email. It's like one of my favorite, uh, well, well, favorite but things to hear. <laughs> it's the right way to do it though. Cause you could say, I mean, I'll give you an example. So, um, you know, Kenny asked me a question it's got a lot of details with it. 
you know, there's a lot of details and information that go with that. Let me give you a follow-up email. I want to be accurate with what I send you. And I also want to be efficient with your time here today. Beautiful. Love it. That's yep. it. And that's brevity. Now, mm-hmm. look, being someone that has about, uh, I think I've been on 800 episodes of Startup Hustle at this point. Um, <laughs> I can talk. I can sure. talk. In fact, I know a lot of people that might actually avoid me on some days because they're worried we're going to talk about, get into the weeds or something. But as I've gotten older, I have practiced the, the, the art of brevity. It is a thing. Say less, do it in fewer words. And then I spend a lot of time, I'm not a scientific because I'm not in pitch decks and presentations as much as you are, but um, I am a big messenger type person. There are words that you can use that are way better than others. Like I'll give you an example. People often want to interchange the words cheap and affordable. Mm-hmm. Like they're the same thing. Hey, we're yeah. the cheapest. That's, that, that's not really like selling me on what you've got because when you <laughs> use the word cheap, and I use this example a lot, the word cheap is associated with brittle or shoddy or like it's crap. Yeah. Like, oh, what is this cheap piece of crap? No one ever says, what is this affordable piece of shit? Mm-hmm. I, I don't ever hear people say that. Do you? Of course not. No, words, say cheap? Word, word, yeah, words are really important, especially, yeah. you know, to turn this back to, to nonprofit too, just to that every year it seems like they're updating vocabulary and language. And if you're using three years ago's vocabulary and language, then then people notice. I mean, it's, yeah. it's that important. And that's why there's a lot of young people excelling at, in the nonprofit world because they're, they're fresh out of school and they're learning the newest things and the, and the newest social entrepreneurship. Um, and it does have a vocabulary and you can get lost. So, you know, some, you know, I'm 44, I'm a dinosaur at this point <laughs> um, like literally a, a, everyone um, around me is, is usually younger. Um, not everyone, but it's, a, it's at, at this age, I'm starting to feel old. So I have to work hard to, to maintain the proper vocabulary uh, or else, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, and it's not just, I mean, that cheap affordable is really noticeable, but for, for people that are ready to write a check, um, it's, it's even more nuanced than that, you know, like, and, and that's why script again, a script is really important in a pitch because it could be one, one word that turns them off. And then once, once, you know, and, and I've done this and we can talk about this, but as we talk about pitch decks, but I'm sure you've been in a meeting, it feels really good. And then all of a sudden something turns, I can always tell when I leave a meeting, whether we're getting the check or not, you know, it's, it's. I'm never wrong. You know, I've, I've literally never been wrong. I might be not know. And I might say, Hey, we might get it or we might not, but I've never been like, we're going to get this and not get it. Or I've never been like, I'm not going to get, and I can watch people's eyes. I can watch. And often it comes from, they're checking their cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> They're looking away. You can adjust your pitch during that. <laughs> now you're in a jam band, dude. So you know all about improv- improvisation. Of course. And in, our, in the book that I wrote with Joel Cummins <laughs> in the interview with Victor Wooten, who is maybe one of the world's most famous bass- bassists at this point, and he'll talk about making errors. And you just keep playing notes until they're right again. 
Right. You know, so some yeah. of that you got to correct your course. Now, I want to talk a little bit about scripts because I'm actually not a fan of scripts. Okay. But I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you that right before I read a few words off of a script and let you know that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use Fullscale's platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Go to Fullscale scale.io to learn more. There's a link in the show notes. I'm putting a link down there as well. So you can find a way to reach out to Kenny if you want help with your pitch deck. And like he can help you with nonprofit stuff. He can help you with your startup, all of that. There, there is a ton of similarity. By the way, you accidentally quoted me earlier when you said no one wants to see your 40 page pitch deck. Awesome. Um, I, I say that about that. I, the number varies sometimes. But, and I also say no one wants to see your 62-page comprehensive business plan upon first contact. Oh, now, wow. <laughs> you know, one of the things, let me tell you why I don't like scripts, because I, I don't mean that I don't like the practice. So what, I, what I've noticed, all right, so um, more people are afraid of public speaking than they are, of, than people are, are afraid of dying. Sure. Wrap your arms around. That is a real thing. Now, I am married to someone that is terrified of public speaking. And it just, it's an inherent quality that some people have. They're just not outward like that. So what they do is they memorize every single word of the speech or the script. Now, this is where it becomes problematic is when there's a hiccup somewhere. They Mm -hmm. get distracted, they get nervous, they forget. And then if you've gone to enough of these things, you've seen someone freeze. And they're sitting there and they're frozen. And it is the most uncomfortable freaking thing that I had maybe other than like watching someone just melt down. It's up there. Right. And it's just, you feel bad for the person because what they're doing, the reason they're frozen is because regardless of what got them to that point is because now they're having to go through the, all of the notes to get back to the one that they need to start at. Mm-hmm. So I try it with the, with the, with the people that are doing the elevator pitch. So an elevator pitch and like a full pitch can be different. Elevator pitch is intended to occur. Like that's that minute or less. Like, could you do it within the context of an elevator ride? We actually practice that sometimes because we have sure. an elevator. It's really slow. So it's <laughs> forgiving, but, but with that, you know, so what, what I do recommend and you'll recognize this is I write, I call it a set list. And the same way when you go to see your favorite band, what you don't often see is a piece of paper that is taped to the stage that has a a vertical list of the names of the songs that they're going to play. Okay. That way, when you have just played song D, you know that song G might be coming next. And that's why is that there? That's so five people don't all start playing a different song and that's embarrassing and that looks like crap. So I write down keywords, right? So like, okay, so first off you might have, and here's the thing, if you're raising for a nonprofit, then you guaranteed have some kind of need to lead with. Sure. Have you, you know what the hardest part about learning how to play music is, is when you're trying to learn how to play music and you don't even own an instrument. (laughs) That is leading with the need if you are a charity that were to provide music or maybe the studio or something like that, that's going to get my attention. That's leading with the need. Like we had a, in a recent, there was a data analytics company. Now look, let's be realistic. That's boring. 
to a lot of people, <laughs> but what isn't boring to a lot of people is money. So they're, they're leading with their, their need to lead with. I got them to start. Do you know that businesses are sitting upon a gold mine, a literal gold mine of data? Mm. And they don't know how to get that out, that money out of the ground. You sure. know, something like that. And that's going to get people's attention. Oh, well, maybe my business is like that. What doesn't work is when you get up in front of a room and you're like, you know, I'd like to thank everyone at, the, <laughs> at this organization. And I'd like to thank my mom. And I'd like mm. to thank my dad. And I'd like to thank my wife for putting up with my shit. I'd like to thank my business partner. And next thing you know, 30 of your 60 seconds are gone. Sure. Tell them that you want to thank them on the side. They'll get it. Right. So some of that is like, you see people do that or they're like, I don't know, it's irrelevant stuff, but you got to get people's attention up front and then you kind of keep rolling with it. So yeah, there's a lot, lot to be said there. Now with the script, like, I don't think you need to abandon it, but you use that to practice. You can still learn your lines. You can still learn the notes. I just have find that the people that are really terrified about public speaking, if you can get them and oh my God, you want to tear them away from the script. <laughs> I had a few that I've coached and they just go right back to it. And that's fine. I mean, I'm not there. I'm not there to degrade them. I'm just there to try to help them. But so, so can I, let me just say like it, the script isn't as it's fluid. Um, and basically what I like to do, it's the same thing you're talking about. Like I do, you know, some bold words that they have right. that I really want them to yes. hit. And the script is for, it's because you've, we've all been in meetings that run too long. We've all been in pitches that run too long. And if you practice this script, I mean, I've worked with a couple people. I mean, they could nail that. I mean, people that have raised, you know, millions upon millions of dollars where they literally I've sat in their office and they say the same exact thing over yeah. and over again. They can say it drunk. They could say it at a dinner table. They say could the say tweet. it on a walk yeah. in a park. Yeah. They could say it in their office or in another office. They like literally these people are robots and they raise. Okay. So I've but that's seen not it. scripted at that point. That's rehearsed but, and that's correct, different. Correct. No, no, I understand. But the point is, is that they're, they are saying the same thing over and yeah. over again. And that script that I write is to be rehearsed. So I will sit there with the entrepreneur and make them pitch to me, make them pitch to friends and family, do it over and over again, because I'm like sitting there with the timer on my phone going, you're, you're behind, you're behind, let's go, let's go, you're behind, let's go, come on, because I don't need to wait, we're not wasting anybody's time, and it's not to sound like a robot, but there, you, we've all done this too, where you go through your pitch and you miss a really important point, because you started going off on a different tangent, that we don't want that either. And, and I also, like I said, to me, it's all about narrative. It all builds upon this, goes to this, goes to this, goes to this. And then by the time you're at the ask, you should have hit all your points. And, and honestly, like you're saying, like me and you are talkers, but a lot of people aren't. So some people, again, they hire me, I give them a script and they don't follow it. But then when I'm sitting there watching them pitch and they hear no, 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 I'm like, it's not my fault. You went off the script. You started to give them all the facts that no one cares about. You yeah. think that you're, you can talk your way into this money because you've done it before, but it doesn't work. If you sit there and follow the script, usually it will lead to the outcome of a check or 
a better outcome of a potential check. So I, I, I mean, every, every single person's different and they want different things. And some people I write a script for and they throw it out and maybe that works for them and maybe that doesn't. Some people, like you said, who are very, uh, have a hard time public speaking. I've worked with people that have nailed it. I mean, people that I've watched pitch that were horrible, that will practice this script for hours and hours and hours, and it comes off beautifully and natural and they hit all their points and they even have their little improv zones, you know, and their time. Hey, do you have any questions about this? And they're, they're like kind of feeling it. And I've taken people who have been so nervous and so horrible at pitching to being able to get through like in a, in a timely, uh, efficient manner. So that's why I do it. I offer it as a service because some, some people just really need it. Now, some people don't. But like I said, we've all been there, including ourselves, where we've talked ourselves out of a check. So for me, it's good to know the bullets. I do the same thing. Um, I feel like I can talk with anybody. I feel like I can read the room. I can improv. I can do all that. But there's there's definitely there's definitely a moment where I'm like, whoop, <laughs> you know, like you know, focus on the benefits, people, yeah. not the features. All yeah. right, so. I, I consulted my good friend Chat GPT. Okay, who, cool. Ne- who never has a shortage of words, it seems. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I was curious because you know, coming into this, I'm like, you know, there's obviously a lot of challenges with all the things that all of us do. So I asked it what uh, some of the challenges that are presented to nonprofit fundraising are. And uh, it gave me a list and I'd like to rattle through that pretty quickly because I think it did really correctly uh, or did well um, and it did really correctly. There we go. That's why (laughs) robots are better than people on some days. Chat GPT did not say really correctly. I did. (laughs) Matt Matt GPT said that. So there you go. Um, All right. Donor fatigue. Um, Sure. Oh, I go through this a lot. I get asked for a lot of donations and I actually donate a lot of money to a lot of different places, but, uh, donor fatigue is, is a real thing. Meaning like, um, if you're earmarked in the world for someone that can, could, or should give donations, you get Mm -hmm. asked for a lot of them and it can be kind of tiresome. How do you overcome that? It's finding the right people that are interested in, in it's all profile, you know, like you're not gonna like people with money get asked for money constantly every day, all day. And, and you got to know that, but it's also the world is a menu to them. So, you know, you might be at the best restaurant giving them the best menu and you just got to know who to ask and when to ask, you know? So there's certain times a year that are great for asking the end of the year and the beginning of the year, are the two easiest uh, when people are kind of figuring out what they want to do. But and don't quit asking. Of course not. But I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying like, uh, you know, a lot of people are constantly getting hit up by like politicians per se, you know, for, for donations all the time. And it's like, all right, well that they might not even be in your political party. You're just on a list of someone that has a high enough, you know, income to to get a call from them. So I think when you find someone that really believes in what you're doing, um and you got to and that's just like any startup or you got to make yourself the best and people want to give to you. If you're doing amazing things and you have a lot of great stuff going on, it's it's going to be easier to find the right donors. But yeah, you don't want to constantly 
I'm not for, there's all these programs out there that just give you lists of people that with certain incomes. I'm not for that. I don't, I don't really believe in that in the nonprofit space. Okay. Increased competition. There's a lot of things that are out there. This is kind of paired in many ways, in my sure. opinion, with donor fatigue. Yeah. Because there's more people out there asking, creating that fatigue in some regards. Um, what's, what's a quick way or tip to make yourself stand out that we may have not already mentioned? So I like to say, especially coming from nonprofits, I disagree with this. I don't think, I think in, in for-profit, yes, you're going to do competition it's got to be understood. You got to know what kind of market share you're looking for. When you're talking about nonprofits, you're raising money for a cause. They're not competition. They're, it's actually what I like to call a community. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is if there's someone else that's doing something similar, that's taking uh, a certain amount of um, what I believe could be, and I'm, this word is not used in nonprofit, but I'm going to use it for your profit people to understand, but market share I like to actually try to create a partnership. I, uh, it works a lot better in the nonprofit world than in for-profit because basically we're, you have the same mission. If you're, if you're trying to do similar things and then maybe, you know, just like you, when you're really honest with entrepreneurs, if someone else is taking all the checks, you're probably not doing a good, as good of a job as that person. So you need to change your development. You need to change your programming. You need to be better because if you're, having better outcomes, you're going to get more checks. But it's not uncommon in nonprofit world to actually partner with organizations doing similar things and create uh, um, unified asks. Yeah, I like the idea of community over competition. All right, economic conditions. This is, uh, if you've been around all of it long enough, um, you're, you're, I'm older than you are. By the way, it'll make you feel better. I have 325 employees and one of them is older than me. One. So don't, don't feel bad. And, I, and I'm not 50. I'm getting there. But I'm, I'm yeah, I'm still under 50. But wow. Um, but yeah, so anyway, back to economic conditions. Sure. Uh, the you know, this is, uh, you know, speak, speaking of age, and all right, so uh, 2007, 2008, major financial crisis occurs. Um, at the time, I, uh, I sold luxury goods, pianos, grand pianos. Mm -hmm. And on the front half of that bubble, oh my God, business was booming. On the back half of it, it fell apart. I mean, literally sure. fell apart. When people have, when economic conditions are strong, money's flowing in, people feel good about future money flowing in. They're a lot freer with it, whether it comes to buying luxury goods, giving donations, mm -hmm. personal spending, travel, uh, purchasing a house, purchasing things they can't afford. A lot of that, but on the backside of it, when that's on the downslope, a lot of that's the all everything I just mentioned is the very first stuff to go. Sure. Um, I don't even want to talk about raising in good times because I think that's probably child's play, <laughs> including for profits. We're going through sure. this right now with VC. Like, of course, unless you're an AI company, you're in for a dog fight. Yeah. If you've never been in a junkyard fight with a junkyard dog, you might want to wait till things get better again because that's what it looks like out sure, there. How do you overcome that in a down economic downturn? Uh, especially for nonprofits, it's, it's tough and, and you can't dictate your market, you know? And I guess for me being in Baltimore, starting a nonprofit in Baltimore city, which is already, um, traditionally a lower income city. I mean, 
when I live in Los Angeles, I could walk into any coffee shop and probably more than half of the people in that coffee shop wearing sweatpants are millionaires. You know, you just assume everyone around you in certain neighborhoods are, you know, they got it. Um, in Baltimore, you can walk into a coffee shop in the nicest neighborhoods and there's probably no, no millionaires. So um, I think like you said, it, it is, it is a hustle. It is a fight, you know, and you got to claw and scratch your way through things. And it comes back to your development again and, and your programming, you know, you got to be efficient. You got to save for the rainy day. You know, you got to be, you got to pivot. I hate using the word pivot, but you got to always be willing to change and improvise when things aren't going your way. And that's just the way the market is. And when, when a market's bad, you you just got to hold on, ride the wave and hope that it, it brings you to shore because there's there's not a lot you can do, honestly. It's just um, keep keep fighting. And I've seen a lot of great things that didn't make it, you know, both for and nonprofit. Oh, know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, then, and and with that, raising money is, is a form of sales. And of as course. a salesperson, um, I'm going to just tell you right now, don't assume that what you see is what you always get when it comes mm -hmm. to a customer. Cause like, as you mentioned, um, you know, millionaires in sweatpants, um, mm -hmm. you know, look, some, some people that live the most humble lifestyles and don't do flashy shit have the most money in their bank account yeah. because they're not out there buying Yeezys and Gucci purses mm -hmm. and, and $200,000 cars and stuff they can't afford. I think uh, even I more than, yeah, yeah, more than ever, like that's just the case now than, um, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I don't Things think, I think that a whole, lot of people are toned down. And yeah. That whole thing yeah. of being gaudy and flashy, it's, 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 it's overplayed. And, and I haven't, you know, I've been in the room with several billionaires and none of them look, look like, you know, right. the traditional, they all are very, uh, not all, but Actually, yes. I don't think I've been with a gaudy billionaire. You know, I no. think all of them no. that I've been around seem to really tone it down and, and want to be, you know, they got a lot of other well, things going on. because they're suffering from donor fatigue. <laughs> and they're like, maybe if I don't look like a donor. But, but you know, this is funny because, all right, so in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, I joke about, um, you know, opening a business because I wanted to work in flip flops and shorts. By the way, dude, I am in flip flops and shorts right now. Awesome. Um, I don't shave every day. I don't Same. even own a comb. Yeah, I don't have I don't have a, a, a thick full head of hair like you do, Kenny. But I've got <laughs> enough that I could comb it. But with that, you know, like I wear a t shirt, I wear shorts. It's funny because I don't I look kind of like a scrub on a lot of days. Now I have done okay for myself, but I will go in some stores, uh, you know, when shopping you know, near the holidays, I'm trying to, it, it comes to mind. My wife and I just had our 10th anniversary and I want, and I upgraded her ring and I went to a couple of places to shop for them. And I, was, I, I wasn't getting a whole lot of attention, you know, cause I'm, cause of the way I, I was appearing at the time. And, I, sure. and I'm not completely slovenly, but I wasn't wearing a, you know, a suit or a tie or I do. I actually, I'm proud of this. I went four straight years and I didn't even own a suit, but, yeah, but me with neither, that, what, me what you see isn't always what you get. So don't, there's this term called pigeonholing that it means to, don't make assumptions about your buyer, your donor, your client, your prospect until you have like you look I at have it. a I have a super funny story about that actually. Um, 
my mentor, this amazing man who, who taught me, you know, kind of how to raise and, and how to pitch, who, who I hold dearly to my heart. He's like a second dad to me. We had this pitch where we were asking somebody, a fairly large corporation, athletic corporation, uh, one of the biggest for, you know, a couple million dollars and, you know, going right to the CEO, right to the board. And, and I went out and bought a suit and showed up and he was wearing a grateful t-shirt and chuck taylor's and he's like what are you doing i was like uh i'm wearing a suit and he's like just be yourself dude like they're gonna know you're not a suit guy so now whenever i go into a meeting even when i'm asking for you know three five million dollars i got my tattoos out uh, i you know i just i'm just myself and i always get it where people look at me for a second and go you don't look like everyone else we've been talking to. Good. Congratulations. <laughs> I would say thank you to that. Like, yeah, I exactly. get that occasionally. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, and you're like, thanks. I appreciate that. But, but yeah. that is a huge thing that just, you know, to tie this all up with a little bow, it basically the trick to all, you know, when people always say, Oh, what is it? What is it? I, I always say, you got to be yourself, you know, yep. like at the end of the day, people want authenticity and especially from, you know, entrepreneurs and people um, who are, if to, to tie it in with nonprofits, to people who are trying to raise money for a cause, if you seem a little fake or you're not yourself or any of it's put on, then it's, a, it's usually an immediate no. So I wouldn't want to donate to an organization that had flashy people. Exactly. In the front of it. Cause I'm kind of wondering at that point, I'm like, exactly. what are you doing with my money? Um, yep. That's exactly yeah. right. And, and, and you can, the cool part about nonprofits, it's all public. So you can kind of look up what every CEO or ED or however they're saying it now, you can look up their salary kind of get a good judgment of of what they're making and what they're spending it on and and they all the spending has to be public and and that's a little ways to be tricky about it but it's cool you can really dive into the finances before you donate to a nonprofit and there's ways to make it look good and ways to make it look bad so all right. So as, as we are running out of time here, a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to all of us by Fullscale.io. If you need help hiring software engineers, testers, and leaders, Fullscale can help with that. Get the people, the platform, and the processes to help you build the software team you really want. Go to Fullscale.io to learn more. You got a link for Kenny down there as well. Kenny, on our way out, what, what's your encore here, man? What do you got for me? Uh, just thanks. Thanks for having me. If anybody uh, out there, any entrepreneurs are hearing a lot of no's and they, they want some help. Um, I love nothing more than I love to see pitch decks. I look at like 40 a week, <laughs> maybe 50. Um, I'm just constantly out there. I love when people send me stuff. And um, also, we didn't even talk about it, but but we got a cool music thing going, Holler and Hum Music. You can check it out and uh, check me out and appreciate the time. Wish you the best. Yeah. And, and you know, for all of you uh, nonprofit warriors that are out there, first off, thank you. I always like to take a minute to thank people that are out there doing the things that, that some of us don't. Um, mm -hmm. It makes a big difference. Uh, I don't usually quote the Catholic church, but they had a slogan at one point that was time, talent, or treasure. I'm a big believer that you should, and there, that, you know, like I said, I don't, I'm not usually quoting the church, but I love those 
three words when it comes to giving back to a community because you've got one of the three, right? So mm -hmm. like, for example, if you don't feel like you have the time, maybe you have the treasure and that money can, can push someone else's initiative for it. I'm one of those guys. Like I find that, that my money can be turned into, it can fuel other people's passion to help drive the initiatives that I still feel good about. Uh, donate your time. You know, or maybe you're talented at something. Maybe you can introduce someone that's raising money to some. Uh, you know what? My friend Joan is probably the person you want to talk to or something. Yeah. That's, that's, hey, that's still talent. Or maybe you can donate something that some level of expertise. Find a way to do one of those things. You know, one of the things I didn't mention is. Uh, you can do a lot of this stuff through your for-profit company at full scale, where we have over 300 employees in the Philippines. We actually have a, a, a company holiday that we call Outreach Day, where we give everybody the, day, the a paid day off if they want to go participate in one of the many uh, community outreach events or, or causes that that our admin team has set up. So like this year, we already did it. Uh, we planted a couple thousand trees. Uh, awesome. we, cl we cleaned up, here you go, a kilometer of beach. The wow. rest of the world's on the metric. I don't even know how far long that is. So I had to ask. I'm like, how far long is a kilometer? They're like, it's not a mile, Matt. Um, yeah. So like that, three quarters uh, of a mile, basically. We also, so we use, so we use <laughs> our company's financial resources and then you have the time for, think about what 300 people in one day can accomplish and all these things. We uh, bought a bunch of solar panels and went and installed them at schools that are off the grid. Um, in a country like the Philippines, where the country consists of 7,000 different islands, infrastructure is a challenge because there's not power lines that run everywhere. So solar was a big thing. And uh, we also had, so we had these little pillars that we had, and one of them was also animals. So we went and uh, cleaned out some animal shelters and did some stuff. We, we adopted an eagle last year. Yeah. So yeah, so just these different things. And, and you know, the, the amazing thing with this is first off, it feels great. Um, I love, love having do it. It creates a sense of community amongst our employees. They really love it. They love, uh, and in that market, they have, most of them have experienced some exposure to big business, maybe coming in and taking advantage of their country a little bit. So sure. the idea that they work for a company that also gives back and allows them to participate and we're doing it there in their community. It, okay. I had a 93% employee retention rate last year. That was during the year of the resi resignation, according mm -hmm. to the wall street journal. And, yeah. and, you know, and it was, and it was, a, it was a big thing. So there's ways that you can get out there and do things that, that help. Um, and, you know, we also have donated to other causes and charities. Um, and for, and so, for people yeah. with startups, Matt, too, I feel like a lot, a lot of them have social missions and it's really helpful, honestly, yeah. like it's helpful to get the check at the end of the day, it's great to make money, but if you can also help and that need is also solving, you know, a social problem or helping people, you know, you have multiple startups out there that are to, you know, to help the environment, you know, with their other ways of making billions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and I think that's, that's cool to think about. And I think a lot of young entrepreneurs actually are, I think it's just naturally, a lot of social missions are attached to these things. And that's where kind of my crossover comes into is I'm, I'm good at connecting those dots. And uh, it's nice to see, it's nice to see a lot of these 
um, young companies want to have social missions and want to um, help either a social problem. You know, I'm seeing a lot. I've been seeing a lot of things that are geared towards helping homelessness. Homelessness has been such a problem. Well, all these people, all these really smart young companies are coming together that are for profit that have the potential you know the biggest one is these uh you're going to start seeing a lot if you haven't yet but these 3d printed houses you know I, that I, it was just about to say that yeah I, I just had a guest one of las vegas's top startups on our list was a company called boxable yeah boxable which, yep. yeah have you heard of them i have yeah i've yeah, seen so their... I had Paulo, their ceo and founder awesome. on there and mm -hmm. and and in the background of the video you could see the factory and they're building them I mean, it was really cool but that's, that's like awesome. a, it's basically like a fold-out house i was like yep. i was telling kenny before we hit record i just bought a farm and it's got a house <laughs> on it but i need a couple other buildings and i was like man i i mean i thought about because i want to host entrepreneurs and like have friends over and i'm like well we're going to keep everyone i'm not going to just throw a sleeping bag at everyone i don't want <laughs> people to drink all my cold beer and then drive you know so i was like man i might build a village of tiny houses or something but but yeah but you see it's out there and it makes a big difference and it helps and yeah I and they're going to make to do your part Finally. Yeah, they're going to make a bunch of money and it's a great idea, but it's also going to solve a huge social problem, which is great, you know? And I think there's a lot of businesses like that, especially that are good for the environment. It's it's just cool to tie in a social cause. And, well, that's and, a billion dollar company. Yeah, so, exactly. And it yeah, is I'm a for-profit sure. enterprise. But exactly. For-profit yeah. for isn't inherently a, an evil thing. No, it's a good thing. I mean, thing. in fact, it's kind of required because it's going to go away. If you, it's Exactly. Outside no. of the nonprofit world, if you don't make a profit, apparently, unless you're a software startup, then you cannot make money for a very long time and then sell it for a lot of money. I'm sure still, I'm still <laughs> all these years later trying to figure out the math on that, but I'll, I'll get it eventually. Hey, Kenny, thanks so much for Thank joining you, me. Matt. Yeah, folks, reach out to Kenny or find some help. Give your pitch to someone. Uh, there's a lot of things you can overcome. Hopefully this episode helped you get past a few of them. Kenny, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Matt. See ya. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.